0: Thank you for choosing Macabre today. Please remain seated and strap in during the duration of this episode. It's going to be a bumpy ride, and we hope you enjoy your time with us. And remember, listener discretion is advised. Well, yes, let's tackle this fucking beast. So today, it's R is for Ropes Pierre. And if you haven't heard of Ropes Pierre... You're about to learn everything you need to know about Mr. Maximilian. Uh, my my episode notes to the hype notes that I have in the beginning are oh mon dieu <laughs> the french re- <laughs> the french revolution was wild it was a time when royalty tried fleeing their own country and the national razor was an equal opportunity executioner. Join us today as we talk about the razor, the age of reason and uh, Robespierre. We're talking about the French Revolution today, and oh, we said we're tackling the beast because this is the longest, like, prep sheet that I've had so far for the show. <laughs> uh,
1: <laughs> you're probably going to hear me very silent because this is
0: all new information. So I'm <laughs> a student today. Dude, you're going to be astounded. I. For anybody that doesn't know about the French Revolution, I really hope you enjoy this episode. I first learned about it in uh, AP history when I was in high school, and I was blown away, super intrigued, and it left an impression on me. And for people that don't like history, I will always say that you clearly don't know about the French Revolution, because... This fucking event deserves its own HBO show with no extra drama added because this was the epitome of historical drama.
1: How many seasons could they get out of this?
0: Um, At least three, in my opinion. Okay. Because you could have characters that are in, like, the third estate, the commoners. You could have, um, you know, obviously you have your clergy in the second st- estate and then your royalty, which, I mean, this is when marie antoinette was alive this was the controversy that was everything that she did and oh there's there's so much there's a lot of political shit that happened and we have to know in the beginning that there are historians and professors that only specialize in this particular historical event because it's fucking dense it was very difficult to try to break it down into a bite-sized little history lesson for the episode, so strap in and uh, hold on to your heads. You don't want to lose them.
1: We could do part one, part two. We'll see where <laughs> we, we end up
0: to. at the end of all of it. This is, to me anyway, is a very popcorn-worthy event in history. It, it fucking wild. So who knows? Go, Maybe go, it'll hold go on, fast.
1: Pause. Let me go. <laughs> Fire up the the
0: kettle. I'm just like picturing that SNL sketch with Bill Hader where he's like interviewing. He's, I can't remember what anchorman he's supposed to be, but he's like interviewing somebody about a murder and he's like sitting with a bowl of popcorn like, (laughs) that's literally this. (laughs) So how we're going to break it down, because this is, of course, R is for Robespierre. We're going to talk about his beginnings, how it built up. We're gonna go into the revolutionary timeline just so you know what the frick went down. And then we're gonna happen uh upon Mr. Max's uh end. And then we'll we're gonna he talk a good about a guy or a bad guy. In my opinion, he was a dick. Okay. <laughs> um there there were some people that still uh thought him to be a hero because Without him, there wouldn't have been certain changes in France. But uh, the way it went about, I think, as many of them do, I think he started with good intentions, but he became a power-hungry, nasty, historical cringies to the max today. (sighs) But we'll talk about that. And if you're familiar with the term national razor, that is another term for the guillotine. And we will talk about some guillotine facts at the end. That are gonna blow your mind. Some of them I did not know. But Huh. Blow your mind or blow your mind or knock it off.
1: <laughs> knock your noggin off. <laughs> yeah.
0: It's about to get real weird in here. Macabre to the max, that's for sure. Uh here we go, people. Alright, let's talk about Maximilian Francois Marie Isidore de Robespierre. Yes, that's his full freaking name. Let's talk about where he began. He was born in Eris, France, in May, on May 6th of 1758. And after his mother's death, his father left. And he and his siblings were raised by their grandparents. And that was kind of the end of the whole family thing. Um and I think that this probably bothered Ropes-Pierre a little more than he let on because he ended up following in his father's footsteps. And it was, he tried his very best to make an impact. And we'll see that that desperation led to some pretty desperate times. So in 1781, he got a degree in law, following exactly in his father's footsteps in that way. And he quickly made a name for himself and became a judge at the Sal Episcopal. Let's just say he had a comfortable income at this point. He was a very social. He was very social, and didn't let his academic interests die. So that was nice of him. He was an intellectual, um, and he did try to do what he could for the people. He was very much a politician, and that was going to get him where he wanted to go very quickly. He was then a lawyer, and he did represent the poor. And we need to know that about him in the beginning because. This was something that was very dear to him. He did have a soft spot for the commoners of France, and he was not shy about pointing out how the royalty basically fucked everybody over. screwing everybody mm-hmm. over, it. yeah. Yep. And he was vocal about it. I mean, to the point where he was writing pamphlets and he was uh, becoming friends with some pretty radical people. And this really began alarming the upper class. And he began protests. Um, he, one of the more popular was the Memoir pour les Sieurs Dupont, uh, which translates to Report of Lord Dupont, uh, which was highly against royal absolutionism and arbitrary justice. And that's going to play later also. Now, here's a little bit more information before we go on the timeline. If you get confused, it's okay, because we're going to go in a a linear chronological order later with this timeline. We're just going to talk about Robespierre up to a certain point. When the Estates General Summons was announced, he issued an appeal, which led him to getting elected as a representative for the people. And at the age of 30, his official political career was born. It said that he had a very weak voice though. Like his little voice, not like his message was weak. He had a weak voice. Um kind of like a, <laughs> a mouse-y I can almost man. imagine. Yeah, I can mm-hmm. almost imagine what that would sound like. Yeah. Um, he had very, very strong messages, but like when I <laughs> when I first learned that about him, all I could think of was like the bonjour. You know, like, just, like, this really weird voice, and I can't get over that. And I'm sure that's not how it was. I'm pretty sure they probably were, like, you know, maybe up to a point he'd have, like, a really strong voice, and then it'd, like, crackle out. But in my head, it's just like, we the people need to be away from the... You know, that's all I could think of. I'm, I'm sorry. Like,
1: I was thinking more, like, Lumiere and <laughs> Beauty
0: and the Beast. I fucking love that movie. Oh, yeah, no. So... Just so you know, um, for being a strong political figure for many radicals, he had a weak fucking voice. So just remember that. Uh, despite, despite everything with his speaking, uh, volume or however his voice was, he was growing in favor with a lot of people at this time. And for time purposes, uh, His political journey took many forms, which I won't go into detail about, uh, and that actually led him in April of 1790 to the presidency of the powerful political club, the Jacobins. Now, if you're not familiar with that term, the Jacobins were a radical political group that formed in the wake of the French Revolution. And without the help of Robespierre, I don't think they would have gotten where they got to. But with his help, they were kind of the reason for the creation of the Reign of Terror of uh, 1793. More on that later. <laughs> and I do mean terror. Uh, he kept devoting much of his time to the National Assembly, where a constitution was being created, uh, much of which took um, pieces from ancient history and modern Well, modern for that day, French philosophers, um, specifically during the Enlightenment period. A lot of what we're going to find out about the cult that he created, the, in quotes, religion, more of like a controlling dictatorship, in my opinion, um, came from the Enlightenment period, which I find ironic because the Enlightenment period was full of revolutionary thoughts in the best way. And he just kind of took them to the extreme. It should be noted that the Enlightenment, period, the Enlightenment era was a very influential time that took place between 1685 and 1815, so it did span through the French Revolution. It's also known as the Age of Reason. It was a time of progress with science, politics, and philosophies. A lot was happening in this time, not just in France. Uh, it was, spe- uh, uh, I'm sorry, it specifically defined the European society of the late 18th century and its stronghold ending with the last of the Na- Napoleonic Wars in 1815, which we will not really be covering Napoleon today, but we will c- for another time. Probably. That is definitely for another time. That's a whole other woof. Uh, Robespierre was a fan of the Declaration of the Rights of Man and of the Citizen, a civil rights document that reflects the state of France at this time. There are 17 articles that make up this declaration, and I only pulled four of the articles from here just so we had an idea uh, about what it was truly about. So Article 1 says, men are born and remain free and equal in rights. Social distinctions may be founded only upon the general good. Article 2 says, the aim of all political association is a preservation of the natural and Imprescriptible rights of man these rights are liberty property security and resistance to oppression keep that one in mind for later sounds pretty good so far Uh uh-huh oh yeah sounds real fucking grand uh until they really take it to a different level um so article 8 says the law shall provide for such punishments only as are strictly and obviously necessary okay Hmm. Let's Mm -hmm. keep that one in mind for later. that's definitely going (laughs) to go. Uh-huh. Yeah. Uh, It goes on to say, and no one shall suffer punishment except if it be legally inflicted in virtue of a law passed and uh, promulgated before the commission of the offense. Hmm. So basically Uh,
1: get enough people together to mm -hmm.
0: target an
1: individual and
0: then abuse the power. Yep. Yep. A bunch of abuse of power here uh and then article 15 which is the last one we'll talk about with this document uh it says society has the right to require of every public agent an account of his administrations so there was no sense of privacy with this your shit was out in the open always people were (laughs) watching you always and it's going to get worse oh so much worse okay so this is just a handful of statements from this document like I said but you get the gist of what we were trying to achieve with it uh what they were trying to really just grind into people and we will soon, we will soon learn how much of this seemed like a joke once a revolutionary like once the revolution actually got started um the declaration of the rights of man and of the citizen would form the preamble of the French Constitution of September 3rd of 19, or I'm sorry, 1791. He would go on to insist that all laws should conform to this particular document. He fought for universal suffrage. He fought for admission to the National Guard, public offices, the commissioned ranks of the army, and the rights to petition with no restrictions. He was against the royal veto, abuses of ministerial power, and religious and racial discrimination. He stood up for the Jewish community and for the enslaved black community of France. He was a very passionate person, and he really did fight for the will of the people. Sounds like a good fucking guy, right?
1: Yeah, I mean, so far, he uh-huh. seems like a stand-up guy.
0: Yeah, and this is when things started to really fucking turn. He was really great up until this point. Oh, here we go. So this is Robespierre right now. Uh, So what really led to the rise of this political radicalism we keep hinting about? France was on the brink of its fucking boiling point at this particular moment in history. But why? Let's take a look at really what was going on in French society. Because rage was rising in France like nobody's fucking business. Uh, We have to understand the structure of the social classes in France during this time period. France was ruled by a monarchy uh, that had power over the government and the people, of course, like a monarchy does. Uh, The people were divided into three classes known as the estates. The first estate was the clergy. Which of course, all of this is under the monarchy uh second estate were the nobles, and the third estate was the common folk. When we think of a French king named Louis, one of the first things that may pop into our heads is lavish, luxury, abundant lifestyles, right? And many of king louis's uh, many of King Louis and his oh wow. I did not edit that fucking sentence, right? <laughs> <laughs> we can keep that one in. I'm a dumbass. Uh, so many of King Louis' courtiers, he himself, obviously, and his wife, Marie Antoinette, they lived exactly what you think they would live like in this fashionable, luxuriant, almost like paradise bourgeois. MTV Cribs. Yeah, basically. Oh my gosh, that'd be funny to like reboot that. And, yeah, that'd be so funny. <laughs> and
1: do historical, yeah. <laughs>
0: Bonjour, welcome to my crib. Uh, as you can see, we have the bed over here and we have chairs set up so that when we consummate marriage next week, people will be able to see it in all its glory.
1: Well, let's not forget the history of sex toys. <laughs> with yeah, the Renaissance. I... <laughs>
0: Oh, yeah. Oh, the French are known to have invented some things. Maybe we'll have to cover (laughs) that later also. The French were wild. There's a reason why the term French lover has a reputation. Wink, wink. (laughs) Uh, In the later part of... Uh, the 18th century no matter what everyone else in france was dealing with uh king louis the 16th was carrying on in the same way same frivolous tradition like the louis before him and between he and his wife marie antoinette uh their lifestyles and the country's involvement in the american revolution france was facing bankruptcy like full in the face uh the commoners were living in starvation without a way to make a living for themselves or their families because jobs were really scarce all the while the royalty are throwing parties with the most extravagant delicacies that are really taken for granted Whew. yeah it's going to get fucked up now and they were so removed uh physically and mentally from the french folk that this just added to the rage firing in people uh they physically moved from the one palace in Paris, like in that area where they would be around the people, to Versailles, which we know is a ways away from people. I mean, they really separated themselves because they didn't want to deal with it. They didn't want to look at it. They didn't care.
1: You know what this reminds me of? What? I always have to throw it back to like a movie or something. Oh, yeah. Because definitely it it reminds me of um the the parallel of the uh in hunger games yes with like you know what do they call the the upper class people and then you've got people in the different districts that's yes and that scene where i think Peta and Katniss go to that big lavish party and they're like stuffing themselves and making themselves vomit so they can eat more and then yep. other people are like starving to death. Yeah, that's what it kind of reminds me of. I wonder if that was a a play on like they
0: took that from that historical. I could, I could totally see that being the case because I think that is a really good comparison to what was going on here.
1: And like, I'm sure oh, it happened in a lot of other places. So you know what I mean? Definitely. It wasn't just then, but that's exactly no. what I had in mind.
0: Definitely. And even, uh, I can't remember that one woman's name, she had, like, the powdered face and the crazy mm-hmm. hair. She totally could and... have been, like, mm-hmm. a dystopian Marie Antoinette. Like, mm-hmm. oh, yeah.
1: Carry on.
0: Can- oh. <laughs> <laughs> uh, the, uh the Like we were talking about, like, the level of inequality was growing more and more to a more disgusting level with every year that was passing until the kettle really began to boil over. Uh, Their economy was in shambles, an absolute crisis, and everyone knew damn well what was going on at Versailles. So not only was the economy off balance, but the people-to-food ratio was growing more frightful, as the population was surprisingly still increasing to a level of catastrophe. And it only got worse in the winter of 1788. It was a cold one and it hit harder than normal. And this, of course, led to famine and the amount of food decreased even further into starvation levels. And to add to the catastrophe cake, the prices on everything rose, which no one surprised. Yeah. Uh, And this actually led to bread riots. They can't afford food they can't find jobs because there aren't enough to go around. They couldn't even dream of the things that the royal palace was taking for granted, eating, living like. They they couldn't fathom it. So no one can really argue that this was a cause of poor leadership, weak economy, and corrupt systems that really led to this revolution, which rapidly turned into mayhem. Without further ado, It's time to get into this obscene timeline we've been talking about. So hold on to your heads, listeners. We would hate to have you lose it. Let's talk about the fucking French Revolution. Ooh, This gigantic topic, like I was saying before, historians specialize in this alone. Uh, So we really tried to break it down into a bite-sized episode piece for you. I encourage you to dig into this further. The French Revolution, I promise you, is a good fucking time and it's worth your time. I also encourage you to see the movie Start the Revolution Without Me that has Gene Wilder and Donald Sutherland in it. It's hilarious. Uh, This movie came out in 1970, and it's so funny.
1: I've never heard of
0: that. It's really good. Um, We watched it, actually, in one of my classes, uh, my history classes, and it's kind of got, like, that Mel Brooks humor, in a way. Okay, I'm in. And, and yeah... (laughs) And they kept like saying like throughout the movie be like five minutes like after a scene, they'd be like later that year, 1789. You know? <laughs> and they kept saying it. So it's like you would never forget the year after you watch that movie <laughs> of when the shit went down. But oh, it's so funny. Uh anyway. <laughs> Let's uh, really wind it back from 1789 for a moment. Let's start in 1774. This is when King Louis XVI ascended the throne. Two years after that, on July 4th, the American Declaration of Independence was established. Two years after that, France, France, not France, (laughs) France, Uh, France declares war on Great Britain and the war debt brings the French monarchy to its knees. Okay, we're starting to get into it now. 1783, peace signed between Britain and France, and Louis XVI calls a meeting of the Estates General. Estates General, like we were talking about earlier. And 1789. (laughs) uh, (laughs) uh, May 5th, uh, the meeting of Estates General is in Paris, on June 17th of the same year, the National Assembly has a little get-together. And three days later, we now have what is called the Oath of the Tennis Court. Sounds really hmm. freaking weird, right? Yeah. Well, here, here's why. <laughs> um, This is, I mean, obviously tensions were high. Well, they got locked out of their normal meeting hall at Versailles. And taking this as a sign that the king was actually forcing them to stop meeting... They moved their little shindig to Versailles' Salle du Jeu du Pomme, which translates to tennis court. They had an indoor tennis court at the palace, hence the name. Here, they took an oath never to disband until a constitution was created in France. They're just going to play it up on the tennis court, you know. Yeah. Um. <laughs> Priorities. Yeah, exactly. Later that year, 1789, in July 14th, here we go. This is when, really, things start shitting, hitting the fan. Fall of the Bastille. Now, you might have heard of the Bastille. Well, we'll we'll talk about Russia in a second. Uh, The Bastille was a state prison on the east side of Paris. Uh, It was attacked by an angry mob. And I mean really fucking angry. They were fucking pissed. Uh, This was a defining moment for the French history historically and culturally and at this point um my cat lanny had some fucking thoughts about the fall of bastille uh when he flopped his head onto my keyboard and i decided to leave the comments in he had a lot to say about this topic uh and he said one qz Ah! Ah!" (laughs) thank you lanny for your uh contribution to the show it's really uh really appreciated anyway back to uh 1789 uh it has since become a national holiday uh the french call it fête nationale francais uh we know it as bastille day and if you're super cool you know about the band rush and they have a song called bastille day it's fucking excellent my dudes go listen to it i'm a rush fan uh this was when the french revolution was truly born No more of this tense back and forth shit. It was on now. Everything prior to this uh, were just contradictions leading up and building to this moment. This was the pinnacle point and there is no going back and France was really in for it now. In August of that year, between the days of the 4th and the 5th, the National Assembly abolished feudalism. Now for those of you who don't know, according to Oxford Dictionary, feudalism is the dominant social system in medieval Europe in which the nobility held lands from the crown in exchange for military service and vassals were in turn tenants of the the nobles while peasants were obliged to live on their lord's land and give him homage labor and a share of the product or the produce uh notionally in exchange for military protection so you know serfdom sounds like a pretty uh, <laughs> uh shitty deal to me oh definitely talk about shit contracts that's probably well, it's bad <laughs> not necessarily enslavement but pretty fucking close they had the illusion of freedom, um, so and I mean, this wasn't just France. Like, I'm like, like, now, we saying, yeah, yeah, yep. Give some entertainment, and they won't uh, fight about it. <laughs> uh, <laughs> August 26th of that year, the National Assembly adopts the document we were talking about earlier, the Declaration of the Rights of Man and the Citizen, which was inspired by the American Declaration of Independence. In October, uh, on the night of the 5th or 6th, it's um, probably at midnight of the 5th into the 6th, uh, women of Paris marched on Versailles. Things are getting fucking nuts now. Uh, Some very pissed off women marched on the palace of Versailles. I mean, hell hath no fury like a woman scorned, right? Well, they went for it and they broke into the palace Threatening to kill Marie Antoinette. They were uh uh-huh. oh, they were pissed. Uh they weren't careful with their impact on the palace. I mean, they fucking stormed it, I might add. Uh they forced the royals to come back with them to Paris to stay in the palace oh, in Tuileries. Mm-hmm. Uh, this was their angry outcry for the limited amount of food that had up until this point, uh, basically fell on deaf ears. So they're like, if you're not going to fucking listen to us, you better be fucking ready for us to storm, bitch. And they did. Uh, Not just that, but the king's soldiers' action against the anti-revolutionary acts uh, was really pissing him off, too. So this is when the king lost all of his authority, basically. He was just a stand-in figure. They tore it from him. And if you think that we're building... This is when things get really fucking macabre. So I know we're historically dark in this bitch, but uh, it's getting really weird now. So later that year, 1789, October 10th, Dr. Guillotine, yes, Dr. Guillotine, proposed a scientific device for execution, and was in his mind a more humane way of execution. It was named after him, you may have heard of the guillotine. I always uh-huh. wondered where that name came from. Oh yeah. Oh, now we'll get I into know. it. Uh he actually later tried getting his name removed from it because oh. he was so like, like beside himself. To mm-hmm. How macabre yeah. and morbid become. Uh-huh. And it's really weird how we'll we'll talk about who he collaborated with to make this a thing. This was basically just his idea. He didn't even create it flick physically. He had help. But they used his name because it was it was his brainchild. So Ooh. um yeah, ironically, uh he supposedly was so against capital punishment even before it was created. But this was his attempt to make it a quicker and more painless way to die because he knew that punishment was coming and it was basically inevitable and it was better than a botched axe job yeah so let's talk about the national razor yeah it was his idea but it was designed by a french doctor named antoine louis and it was actually built by a german harpsichord maker named tobias schmidt interesting So what do you get when you get two French doctors and a harpsichord maker? Apparently the fucking guillotine. (laughs) (laughs) So we finally got out of 1789 and got into 1790. And on June 19th, a formal abolishment of nobility and the hereditary titles was taking place. In 1791, basically a year after that, in June... The royal family tries to flee Aust- to Austria because that's where Marie Antoinette's family is. <clears throat> but they were captured in Varanese. They were tried for treason mm. because what they they saw that as a treasonous act. You're supposed to be the head, you know, representative of the country and you're fucking fleeing. Yeah, fucking treason. That's what their idea was about that. And it was made so much worse for the royal family after that, as you can imagine. And their fates were now basically sealed and they may or may not have actually gotten into Austria if it weren't for uh, the fact that they had very poor planning skills. Yeah. (laughs) Which
1: is understandable. Yeah,
0: exactly. So again, later in 1791, on July 17th is when the massacre at Champ de mars happened, and Champ de mars is actually now the site of the Eiffel Tower. Uh, a crowd collided with the city's National Guard, and the guard tried a round of warning shots but were unsuccessful to break it up, so they began to open fire at the crowd, and it's estimated, yeah. Oh yeah, there's a lot of this that goes on in this time. Uh, It's estimated that roughly, which talk about a range here, a dozen to over 50 people were killed. The exact number isn't known because they didn't care to really document it. And we know that protests, people were dying in the protests all the time before this. Um, We don't have actually an exact number of how many people were actually, you know, dead by the time the revolution was over and we'll, we'll talk about why at the end um in august 27th of the year that year the declaration of Pilnes by the rulers of austria and prussia were affirming their intentions to return the king of france to power but september 3rd uh the constitution of 1791 is proclaimed and that's when things really look dark for the royalty uh of france the fourteenth of September, Louis the accepted the constitution, and is temporarily restored to in quotes power. And this won't this won't last, and it gets worse. Uh, Seventeen ninety two, uh, between January and March, serious inflation began again with goods and food riots in Paris just amped up. Uh, on April twenty eighth. The war breaks out between France and Austria. And May 21st, George III issues royal proclamation against, in quotes, tumultuous meetings and seditious writings. Yeah, because people are writing revolutionary pamphlets and passing them out. They're just adding fuel to the fire at this point. Uh, July 28th, the Brunswick Manifesto is published, which threatens the people of Paris with punishment if they do not submit to the king. And this led to panic that caused the September massacres because they might have been putting their foot down on authority, but they had no ground to stand on. So the next day, this is where Maximilian Ropes-Pierre comes back in. Good old Max calls for the removal of the king. And on August 10th, 10th... The tent. Uh, August 10th, the palace of Tuileries is invaded for the last time because of the king and the monarchy is officially overthrown. Three days later, the royal family is imprisoned in the temple. And September 2nd, the September massacres are going down. And this is the major, well, the first, I should say, major event of the revolution where priests and aristocrats were being murdered, just openly. Uh, the 20th of that same month, the Battle of Valmy, uh, French victory had, you know, taken place over the Prussians. So it's not looking good for the people that are trying to fight back against what the fuck's going on in France. The next day, formal abolishment of the French monarchy. France declares a republic. And December 20th of that year, the trial of the king opens. Ooh. Uh-huh. All right. Hang on to your heads, people. 1793, January 17th, King Louis Sixteenth is condemned to death. And a few days later, on January 21st, he is executed. Very publicly, I might add. Now, when we talk about the guillotine, the national razor, this was not in a prison. The guillotine was put up in the middle of town. Everybody fucking came to see this thing. Uh, And we'll talk about the popularity of it later. Um, but the body of Louis the Sixteenth was immediately transported after decapitation to the old church of the Madeleine. This church was demolished in seventeen ninety-nine. So yeah. Uh since then the legislation uh, it was uh forbidden force uh to bury his remains beside his father, like originally was requested by him, uh the Dauphin Louis de France at Sens. Um he didn't get that luxury. Uh, he was just thrown in a grave. And we'll talk about that later, too. Uh, February 1st of that year, France declares war on England and Holland. And 10 days later, England is like, bitch, what? We're declaring war on you, bitch. Uh, so, yeah, they're, they they don't care that there's a revolution going on in their own country. They're so fucking angry. They're going for everyone. Uh, <laughs> It's getting nuts in France now. And a month later, uh, the Revolutionary Tribunal established in France. Okay, now we're really getting the publications boiling over. Uh, April 6th, the Committee of Public Safety is established. It really was not a public safety committee, let me tell you. Basically a ban of spies. They're watching mm. everybody. Nobody is safe. You could do something and they could. you could look at someone wrong and probably be decapitated for it at yeah. this point. So it was a tense fucking time and walking on eggshells is an understatement. Uh in the summer of 1730 or 1793, there was a bunch of assassinations and executions happening, and I mean by the thousands, multiple a day. Uh August 2nd, Marie Antoinette is transferred from the Temple Prison to the prison of Conciergerie, which, yes, uh, she was not executed at the same time as her husband. We will get into that also. Uh, 17, uh, the 17th of September is officially when the reign of terror began. Everybody was watching everyone else. Tensions were the highest they could have been and no one was truly safe. Anyone who was suspe- suspected of treason was scheduled an appointment with Madame Guillotine. And state-sanctioned violence and executions was encouraged. And we're going to share some more guillotine facts at the end of the episode, but this is when shit gets real fucking awesome. And we can blame good old Max Robespierre for this shitastrophe. We can also blame him for the cult of the Supreme Being, the religion of reason, as some called it. This was a religion that he created uh, to form order in France because things were just fucking nuts. He was going insane. Fucking jonesing on power trips, this dude. Uh, The cult of the supreme being was a form of deism established in France by fucking Robespierre during the French Revolution, and it was intended to become the state religion of the new French Republic to last forever and for always in his mind. And this replaced Roman Catholicism because, or I'm sorry, Catholicism, Catholicism, (laughs) Uh, which it was, Catholicism was its main rival. And it became the cult of reason. He went as far as to try to abolish the names of the month and the names of the week.
1: <laughs> yeah. I love that they just, he was just like, yeah, it's a cult.
0: Yeah. <laughs> just straight up Fuck like it. called it a cult. Yeah. He's like, this is the age of reason, bitch. We're going to change it up. Oh, yeah. He was nuts. Or I'm sorry. He was like, this is the age of reason. <laughs> Who's the daddy now, France? Yeah. We'll talk about karma. Karma is going to play into the next few episodes real nice. So if you're not wondering if karma is doing its job, oh, it is. Uh, We'll get to that. So September 22nd is the introduction of the revolutionary calendar that we just talked about. He's just scrapping everything. And this officially started year two of the Age of Reason. Okay, He's getting real creative in here. Uh, October 16th is when Marie Antoinette was executed. And it's said that she was pretty emotional in the beginning uh, for a brief time, but she did gain her composure uh, there at the end. Um, Some of the people that actually watched her execution actually were overwhelmed with emotion because they said that this was one of the more vulnerable uh, moments of the guillotine. Uh, They were very moved by her last minutes. And... After she was decapitated, her head was thrown up for the public to see afterwards, and she was buried with her head. They did give it back, but she was actually buried in an unmarked grave at at Medellin Cemetery also. Hmm. Um, So we'll kind of talk about that too. There are a lot of victims of the executions that were just thrown into mass pits, and it said that some of them were actually... Uh, part of the now catacombs. They kind of just threw them all together. So, yeah, uh, kind of sucks. Especially when you think about how extravagantly she lived and all of the things that she had done in her life, and she ended up in an unmarked grave. Uh, October thirty first. Um, deputies. Uh, the Giraudins are beginning to be executed. November seventh. Uh, was the execution of Philippe Elegate, which was the cousin of King Louis XVI, who of the Duke of Orleans. And now we get into 1794. Opponents of Robespierre were rounded up and executed because he, I am not a man to be trifled with, you know, as he would say. Uh, April 5th, the execution of George Jacques Danton which was one of his colleagues with uh, a lot of the political radicalism he was an organizer of the uprising in 1792 that basically did the overthrowing of the monarchy he was executed he was also the leader of guess what the committee of public safety danton was a real fucking cool dude also hint hint the sarcasm uh may 10th madame elizabeth the king's sister is executed on July 27th and 28th, here's where it gets fun, Maximilian Robespierre was executed. What? Mm-hmm. You want to hear how this shit went down? On July 27th, Robespierre and a number of his followers were arrested at Le Hotel de Ville in Paris. Robespierre was so fucking panicked, he tried shooting himself. Oh, no. And it didn't work, obviously. Uh, nope. It was a failed suicide attempt. He was a poor fucking shot. He ended up blowing his jaw off.
1: Oh my gosh. And then your head gets cut off later?
0: Uh-huh. Oh, and, man. Yeah, he ended up surviving it. Uh, when the convention members came to collect him, they found him lying in agony and a few of his other allies were dead because they they all decided, a group of them decided they were just going to commit suicide because they knew what the guillotine you know, they they created a monster and they were fucking in for it. Um so when they found him, he was guillotined that day later on. So how did that happen? Uh Robespierre and 21 of his followers were taken uh to palais, uh, Place de uh de la Re- revolution. Um so it didn't I didn't find the numbers of how many actually tr- uh were successful with their suicides, but twenty one of them besides Robespierre's survived and were executed um the crowd was going fucking nuts that was a busy were, day uh-huh they were actually pretty happy that good old Maxie was getting what was owed to him they did bandage him up because you know obviously he blew his jaw off it's documented very thoroughly that the executioner removed his bandage from his head and he fucking screamed in agony so bad and he kept bleeding. While he was going up to the scaffold. Oh, yeah. Uh, His alleged last words were, merci, monsieur, to one of the spectators who had offered his handkerchief to him to stop the bleeding. Why would you? I mean, at that point, I'd be squeezing it. And I'm like, if I uh, lose enough blood, maybe I'll pass out. And they just Just throw me in there. And yeah. So you're probably wondering, where is his body after the old... Uh, slap and chop. Uh, historians have long believed that his remains were just thrown in a pit with over 500 other guillotine victims. Uh, he does not have a mark grave and it is believed, like we had mentioned earlier, some of them were thrown in the catacombs and stuff. It's believed that his body is one of those bodies. Ooh, yeah, so he was the one that started this shit and he got a taste of his own medicine and karma's a bitch. Uh, August 5th was the release of sus- uh, the suspects imprisoned under the terror. They were starting to l- letting up, but this wasn't necessarily the end, because in October to November, treason trials started. And December 16th was the execution of Jean-Baptiste Carrier, one of the most brutal of the terrorists during this time, which... Yeah, he kind of deserved it. He was pretty radical and did some crazy shit. In 1795, on May 7th, the execution of Antoine Quinton Foucault-Tinville, the public prosecutor, was put to death during the terror. Uh, He was a prosecutor. He was put to death. Spell Um, that last name? What? No way. I'm Mm -hmm. not even saying it again. Spell it. (laughs) The last name? Yeah. Okay. It's F-U... Or, I'm sorry. No, I'm not doing it. Just kidding. Uh, It's F-O-U-Q-U-I-E-R hyphen T-I-N-V-I-L-L-E. Okay. My
1: namesake is French. Yeah. And the original, I think, uh, was spelled F-O-U-Q-U-E-T or something
0: like along those lines
1: oh
0: that's why i was like oh is that a distant relative you should look into that wouldn't that be fucking something yeah oh
1: because i know a lot of them obviously i'm here in the u.s but they a lot of them um moved into uh the like the new orleans area
0: really Mm -hmm.
1: yeah so like the I think the there's a famous restaurant too in France called Fouquet's or something like that. That's the same line, anyways.
0: That's really interesting. To
1: ask about that.
0: Oh, you should really dig into that. That would be, would that be fucking nuts?
1: (laughs) I mean, I don't (laughs) know that I want to be connected to that, right?
0: But still, like, whoa. Yeah. Uh. So in June of 1795, on the eighth. Uh, It was the death of the Dauphin, the eldest son and heir of the French king, who in royalists' eyes was the true, you know, taker of the throne. So because of that, he was executed. Um, Oh, I'm sorry. No. Hold on, let me reread this, because the coffee's kicking in. Uh, the death of the Dauphin, the eldest son and heir of the French king, who in royalist eyes was King Louis the Seventeenth since the ed- execution of his father. Oh, he was he was dead. They they did get him. Okay, never mind. That means that uh Louis XVI's brother, the Comte de Provence, became Louis the Eighteenth. There's a lot of weird transformations going on here, but it won't matter soon because Napoleon's coming. Uh, October 31st was the election of the new directory and the end of the convention. And on the 18th of December that year, uh, they do release uh, Louis XVI's daughter, Marie Therese Charlotte. Okay, now we get into the 1800s. In 1804, on May 18th, Napoleon was proclaimed emperor. So it did take a little bit for Napoleon to really establish himself, but he was definitely active prior to that. And the rest is French history. Just kidding. We'll probably be talking about France again on Macabre, but don't you worry. But holy shit. This is when the French Revolution timeline truly ends. <gasps> Let me take a breath. Um, This historical event, like we were talking about earlier, would totally be worthy of an HBO series. No drama needed. To be added, uh, this whole thing was a fucking epitome of drama. Now, if you're still with me, listeners, I felt like I just ran a fucking marathon. <laughs> let's get into the gritty goods, because I know you're here to talk about the guillotine still. So, as promised, let's go over some guillotine facts.
1: Yay! Yay!
0: Oh, Wake up! Hey, hey, hey! We're talking about guillotine facts! I hope I didn't make a snooze fest for you again. I'm really good at that long-winded historical shit, but there was no other way to get around that timeline. All right, guillotine, let's go. This device actually claimed its first victim officially in April of 1792, and that's when it quickly became known after its namesake, Dr. Guillotine. You know who wasn't a fan of this? Uh, Dr. Guillotine, like we had said earlier. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> he was so horrified to have his name attached to this device uh he even though he was the fucking one that thought about it, he tried really hard to distance himself from this like to an extreme point, obviously, with the hysteria of the seventeen nineties I mean this thing was definitely got its use um and his fame, his family actually later on tried really hard to petition. Uh, to the French government to get the name changed, they were unsuccessful. And Did this
1: just changed their name and been yep. done with
0: it, exactly. That was actually in the early 19th century that they tried changing it. So, not long after you know it was over, they were like, We need this off of our name. I would have changed my name and moved, I would have started a whole new life because, yeah, that's rough. As we had mentioned, and I'm sure you're not surprised by this, historically speaking, uh, the executions were. Massive spectator events. Massive. Uh, Some disgusting people had enough balls to complain that the machine committed the executions too quickly for their entertainment's sake.
1: Oh, no. Mm -hmm.
0: Mm-hmm. Talk about assholery. Why Um, does that not surprise me, though? Right? People. Really? Yeah. A lot of these... Well, I don't think most of these people deserve to be guillotined. They were just seen as the enemy of the republic because they weren't abiding by Robespierre's really fucked up rules. His cult. Yeah. yeah fucked up. Um <laughs> what's even more fucked up is people could buy souvenirs and read a program with who was on the block that day. Oh no. Uh-huh. Fucking whining and dining. Oh yeah, that's right. I said dining because you could even get food at a restaurant close by that was named Cabaret de la Guillotine. <laughs> yeah. Not to mention you had a group of ladies that were called now I'm gonna probably really massacre this, so I apologize, France. But uh Tussus, uh can't I, I can't pronounce that word for some reason. I've tried really hard. Um but this was a group of very morbid women uh that attended the events daily oh wow yeah
1: (laughs) do they have their own (laughs) (laughs) podcast
0: right right they probably would have at this point um because they didn't move they would get there early to get their spots and they didn't move they literally brought their knitting along and knitted in between beheaded yes there are documents of this happening um and the group kind of grew
1: over were they, the time.
0: <laughs> were they knitting neckties? <laughs> Good fucking question. I would like to know what they were knitting. <laughs> and I'm sure it had blood in it because it sounds they like they were, were pretty close. close. Yeah. yeah. The guillotine lost its macabre magic over the people at the end of the 18th century, but public beheadings continued into France until 1939, which there was an exception made later that we will talk about. But uh, it was being used up until less than 100 years ago, people. Um, Children actually frequented these events. They were avid attenders and it became so popular with the kids that a toy was created that's right i remember mm-hmm. i was wondering if you were going to bring that up yes
1: i've seen the image of it mm-hmm. it's pretty crazy it is so fucked up um so for <laughs> i have a question yeah do you know um anything about the maintenance of this device no I was curious, like how often they sharpened the blade. You know, like
0: if I've there wondered was
1: that also. It's like so many people because at some point it's gonna get dull. Oh fuck yeah! Especially you since... don't want to be that
0: person. No, that's and on I the chopping a... block when the blade is dull, right? And I have a feeling they didn't necessarily keep up the maintenance. I feel like they waited until they learned that on like someone it didn't go that through. uh huh. Yeah it didn't go through their neck yeah yeah oh my god no because i mean granted this if you've not seen a picture of the guillotine it's a pretty high scaffold and they're dropping the blade from a really high point so the inertia with the weight of the blade is part of the reason why it's quick and in quotes painless we'll talk about that soon too um but i can't imagine that they were keeping up on it and as macabre as it sounds i would be interested to know on average how many people I they got through before they would have to
1: yeah i yeah. kind of want to know about the ones that went wrong
0: Hmm. yeah oh because mm. the whole reason why it was created was because of how often uh beheadings with axes and stuff were botched same similar concept yeah yeah and, I mean, let's look at... Uh, we're going to bring it back to Henry the Um Certain nobility were given one specific executioner because he was super skilled and it was thought that he would be the quickest and the most painless option for a nobility. You imagine that being your job. Oh, no. And we're actually going to talk about uh, a couple of them in here, too, uh, people went fucking nuts over the shit, like concert level nuts. It is just beyond comprehensible to me. I, I can't imagine that happening now with the shit that we're going to talk about here soon. Because It also just made me realize,
1: um, you know, we're still mapping out next season. But yeah, um, e, I, e we had or in the notes I had put down, jotted down like um, the electric chair and that mm-hmm. sort of thing but executions would work just as well yeah, because we that could would talk be awesome. about the different execution methods. Mm-hmm. You know, I think like that'd be fire range, the electric chair, all that. Yeah.
0: That would make yeah. a pretty wild episode. So I agree. We, I think you are onto a great idea. We should definitely cover just executions in general. Cause Holy balls. No, thank you. Mm-hmm. Ooh. But, uh, who? Yeah, going back to these stupid kids' toys. So, (laughs) um, yeah, this did exist. Uh, For people that didn't know about this, uh, during the 1790s, there was a two-foot-tall replica uh, complete with blade and timbers that was super popular (laughs) in France for the little kitties. How many kids Uh, lost fingers? That's what I want to know. Um, or other body parts, <laughs> right? I don't like when I first oh, no. heard about this. All I could think of was, um, well, hey, we're bringing back Mel Brooks, but uh, Robin Hood Men in Tights, uh-huh. where they're talking about moils and stuff, and he like <laughs> brings out this mini guillotine with a carrot, and he goes, "You just <laughs> clank, nip the tip," and everyone's like, oh, <laughs> "Oh, you know, that's exactly what I thought of." Uh, kids actually used. It was a fully functional guillotine, just on a miniature level. That and is
1: crazy. In itself. yeah,
0: they actually, I, I just, oh my gosh, um, kids would actually take their dolls and decapitate them. <laughs> yeah, that's probably not all they
1: were decapitating.
0: Oh which no, is even more morbid to think about, right? You know what else they were decapitating? Oh, I don't small know. rodents. Oh no, I yeah. knew it. Uh, and some towns actually eventually, uh, not right away, which, really? Uh, they eventually... <laughs>
1: watched
0: what their kids were doing. <laughs> no. Let's
1: just give them guillotines.
0: They were it's too fine. fucking busy literally watching their own heads, but yeah. they probably didn't care. Um, <laughs> but some towns eventually did ban them out of fear that they were not a danger physically to their children, but because they were a vicious influence on their youth. Which yes, it is a vicious influence. And why the hell would you let your kid play with this shit? But uh yeah, it wasn't for their physical well-being. It was for their mental well-being in the future and all that shit. Um yeah, that's uh that's where their minds were at. And apparently the what the fun wasn't just for the kids. There were novelty guillotines that could be purchased for your dinner table. Oh, no. Uh-huh. Uh, And it became, which I find uh, very ironic, that upper class people bought them these mini guillotines for their dinner tables where they would use them for slicing bread and vegetables. Hmm. That's just yeah. another slap in the face to the people of France, you know? Um, Because people, I mean, it was called the Reign of Terror for a reason. And Oh, yeah. the And we're going to rein it back into the people who did the executions. Uh, The people who operated the guillotines were actually seen as national celebrities. Oh, I bet. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> they actually almost saw it like a sport. Like they were sports stars because of how they, in quotes, masterfully managed the machine. Did they ever sell tickets? That's what I want to know. I feel like for some things, probably, like if you wanted like in quotes VIP access or close. whatever, yeah. yeah. I know that. I mean, they made a killing on souvenirs and food. <laughs> killing. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that pun was actually not intended. I didn't. <laughs> oh man! <laughs> but like, oh, like I'm just speechless at some of this shit. Like it's almost like, can you imagine like thinking about it in modern times? If they were seen as, like, a sports star celebrity type level, like, I'm just, like, <laughs> picture, like, a sports caster. Like, we take you live now to the next on the chopping block, and I gotta say, Ted, Francois is in rare form today. He's averaging six heads in the basket in under three minutes. Talk about the focus with this guy. It must take a lot out of him to make that happen.
1: Like, fucking woof. So, question: Did they wear the like traditional hood, or no. did they they were just out and mm-hmm. yeah? If they and were that, celebrities, that makes sense.
0: Uh huh. Exactly. Which I am glad that you brought that up because do you know? Um, I, they were really seriously celebrities. Like people would follow them around town, <laughs> and they would actually take fashion trends from the executioners. We'll get to that. We'll get to that. Um, So, this job of operating the guillotine, of being an executioner, was actually usually a family business, and they passed it down from father to son. In fact, the Sanson family actually served as state executioners from 1792 to 1847 and they were the family responsible for dropping the blade on Louis the 16th and Marie Antoinette damn i wonder yeah. how
1: many bodies they have under their uh thousands oh my gosh they
0: they were one of the most famous of the executioners and they they have thousands under their belt um and it actually so we talk about fashion shit uh, during the 19th and 20th centuries, the role of the chief headsman, which is what they were called, felt, uh, uh-huh, fell to Louis and Antonin de Blair. It was a father and son pair whose combined time on the job lasted from 1879 to 1939.
1: Oh my gosh. Can you imagine still doing executions? This is like I, right at
0: uh, World War Two Mm mm-hmm just fucking about like how dead inside are you like what the fuck so we're talking about fashion trends um especially these two they were so fucking popular that it went as far for public favorites that people were trying to imitate their clothing that they were wearing on the scaffold when they were executing people they were a fashion inspiration at the time What were they wearing? I don't know. (laughs) It definitely wasn't an execution mask or anything like that. They were, and I mean, you can about imagine how well off they were because of this type of work. Being paid by pretty powerful people to get shit done. And, oh, I feel like you pretty much
1: secure your seat in hell
0: or Mm -hmm. things.
1: I mean... Do you look at those people as being culpable? Like, right? they know what they're doing is wrong, or did they just see it as a duty of...
0: I'm sure that they just saw it as a duty, but it's, you're still killing people. Like, and the fact that, I mean, this this kind of reminds me of the craze with, like, women writing love letters to serial killers in jail. Like, that <sighs> fanaticism of yeah, fucking... Yeah, that's a
1: whole yeah. um, level of... Weird, the yeah. psychology. I would like to understand what that is about. Is that just like the nature of someone who is a fixer and wants to, right? Is that what it comes from? Like this right. person is an extreme form of I need to fix you,
0: right? I don't and know because it was so massly spread. I mean, this was fucking mass hysteria, probably at the ugliest. To, you know, fanaticize over to the point where you were trying to follow fashion trends of basically mass murderers. Yeah, it's know, crazy. Publicly, like thousands, we're talking thousands of people. Like, I mean, whoa, I mean, I'm I'm back to like the newscaster thing just to like break it up. But like, you know, we, we are here again live bringing you the coverage of the chopping block. And I gotta say, Ted, Anatole is wearing red silk pantalons that really accent the spots of blood on his flowy white shorts. Oh, Antonal, he's so hot right now. Back to you, Ted. <laughs> I mean, like, fucking, like, what? Yeah, that's another question. I wonder what colors they were wearing. Right?
1: Was it maybe black? it
0: <laughs> Right? And maybe it didn't fucking matter. Like, I'm sure they didn't want to do nice, bright colors because it probably ended up fucking red. Mm -hmm. and i mean this isn't the most well i mean i guess it depends on how you you lay it but uh going into more macabre facts about this shit um scientists of that time were actually conducting pretty nasty experiments on the heads immediately after decapitation because they wanted to see if people were still conscious um And I know we talked about that in the Henry VIII episode with like, were they still conscious afterwards because of the alleged, like after Anne Boleyn was decapitated, that she Mm -hmm. was still moving her eyes or like mouthing things. her lips. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So according to one of the articles uh, that we had looked at here for this research, it said that, in quote, from the very beginning of its use. Speculation abounded over whether the heads of the guillotined remained conscious after being cut off. The debate reached new heights in 1793 when an assistant executioner slapped the face of one of his victim's heads, and spectators claimed to see its cheeks flush in anger. Well, if you slap something too hard, and j- uh, doctors later asked the condemned to try to blink. Or leave one eye open after their execution to prove they could still move, and others yelled that the like would yell the victim's name, or expose their heads to candle flames and ammonia to see if the heads would react. Uh huh. And in 1880, going into a whole other level of macabre, a doctor named uh, Dassi de Ligneris. Uh, even had blood pumped into the head of a guillotined child murderer oh, God. to find out if it would come back to life and speak. The ghastly experiments were put to a stop in the 20th century, but studies on rats have since found that brain activity may continue for around four seconds after decapitation, depending on how smooth it was. <sighs> yeah, so... Whew. The 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 facts don't end there, folks. Uh we're moving into the nineteen hundreds now for the last couple. Um this was news to me. I did not know this. The guillotine was actually used as a form of execution in Nazi Germany. Did you know that? I didn't, but I'm not surprised. Right? They would actually um they had about 20 machines that they would place in random cities, kind of similar to what they did during the French Revolution. So it was just like this ominous symbol for people to walk past and just yeah. to be afraid. But uh, they were used. Um, Adolf Hitler made the guillotine a state method of execution in the 1930s. And it was used to execute It said Over 16,500 people between 1933 and 1945, many of which were resistance fighters. Oh, no. No, I did not know that. Yeah, I I did not know that at all. Um, So if this was still used in the 40s, we kind of talked about it in the beginning, but do you want to take a guess at when the Razor of Terror was last used? in france i'm gonna let you oh yeah it's gross uh the guillotine remains france remained france's state method of capital punishment well into the 20th century and we might do a hometown macabre on this guy but um and i'm gonna butcher the last name i am so sorry i'm trying my best uh convicted murderer hamida uh, John Duby, Dubai, uh, became the last person to meet his end by the National. Nationale uh, after he was executed by the guillotine in 1977. Damn. Yeah. Uh, he was known, he had kidnapped, tortured, and murdered a 22-year-old girl, Elizabeth Bousquet, in uh, 1968. So, uh, yeah, have to cover that sometime. Uh, The use of the guillotine officially came to an end when France abolished capital punishment in September of 1981. So it did last a few years after, but it was just kind of there as an official stance. It wasn't used after Hamida's execution. (gasps) Woof. I hope you held on your heads, folks.
1: That's crazy. That was the year my sister was born.
0: Really? (laughs) Yeah, so just thinking about the timing of that. That's nuts. I mean, that mm-hmm. that's fucking recent. Mm-hmm. It's crazy. <sighs> Whoa, okay. We made it. Kinda. Holy head-in-a-hand basket, Batman. That was fucking rough. Uh, again, we said this in the beginning, but for people who say that history is boring, they clearly don't know about the French Revolution. And if that wasn't macabre enough for you, then, well, there is no pleasing you. Because holy shite. Uh, Robespierre got his rocks off to the revolution. He talked a big game with his weak-ass voice, Uh, but when it came down to it, he did get a taste of his own nasty medicine, and he felt the terror that he had put on others at the end. So karma does work. What we do know is that uh, we are hoping that nothing like this in any similarity comes about ever again, because nobody was safe nobody was safe and <laughs> common because holy shit i mean people walked on eggshells you could be committed to treason for literally anything
1: or, or yeah nothing yeah absolutely just nothing someone doesn't like you for mm-hmm. any particular
0: reason yeah they could just suspect you just because you look suspicious and there was no reasoning in the trial even though it was the age of reason they did not use reason <sighs> so there you have it what do we have coming up Allie?
1: <laughs> what do we have coming up um what's P Q
0: R S? s s uh-huh talk about another way of karma coming back around we're gonna talk about that s is for syphilis
1: that's right
0: <laughs> i hope you guys are ready for that one um that'll be a fun follow-up after this one (laughs) yeah this one was really fucking dark and the next one we laughed we laughed a a lot lot. yeah
1: yeah Um, and
0: then um t is the
1: um triangle shirtwaist factory right
0: yes that is another episode that really um changed the name of the game when it came to the industrial revolution and what it meant for safety precautions especially for women because before this incident yeah women wore full skirts in the factory and we're talking the big nasty machines that you can about imagine led to some pretty gruesome deaths and this one is no exception it involved a fire but we will save that for the tea episode
1: (laughs) i mean everything we talk about is pretty macabre so definitely definitely
0: we're making the rounds.
1: <laughs> We're so close to, by the time that airs, let's see, when is that going to air?
0: Um, oh, that'll
1: be the start of the new year. Really? Yeah, so yeah. SS for Syphilis will be December and then we'll do a macabre Christmas special. Mm-hmm. And then, yeah, we'll kick off the new year with um,
0: Factory. Yeah, and that means Crazy. once the new year dawns, we're getting closer to the end of the season. Yes. Yep. Oh, we hope that you guys are ready. We have been planning some pretty funny things to do for season finale show. So yeah, stay tuned for that.
1: One of the things I have to ask, and we always have to ask, is uh, I think right now iTunes or Apple Podcasts, iTunes, whatever you want to call it, mm-hmm. uh, is probably the place that people listen to us the most and then Spotify. Oh. Um but I think we need to do some sort of a giveaway at one point to try yeah. to get more ratings and reviews. Yes. If, you know, obviously our first goal is to hit 100. I know that mm-hmm. seems like a really low number, but for us it's a, it's, <laughs> it's not major. A low number. Yeah. It's a big number. Um so yeah, so we'll talk about doing some sort of a giveaway for that yeah um, so we'll have to announce the details on that pretty soon so we can try to get that for the new year
0: definitely and speaking of that if if you would be so kind we would really appreciate a rate and review because <laughs> okay not only because it helps us show but we love hearing what you guys think and what you have to say because in all reality this is just a big fucking macabre hangout we're just here to hang out with you and talk about some crazy shit and, and we love you we fucking love you and we have heard from you some of you we'd like to hear from more of you but keep it coming because we are learning a lot about you guys and you guys are fucking cool
1: <laughs> our group of listeners is it's so, so
0: awesome fucking cool. <laughs> like i'm so happy to have the cool fucking people in this group. It's just, my, it's astounding.
1: My, my mom, the other day I went to visit and she goes, "Your people on your private Facebook group. They're really funny. <laughs> they are. I was like, <laughs> fucking yeah, they're cool. Of course. <laughs> they're cool.
0: They are like cool. Us. They're fucking but, um, awesome. We love you guys.
1: Well, we love you and, um, we will see you next time.
0: Uh huh. Have fun as always and be safe. And, uh, Maybe don't buy your child a little guillotine. Just saying. Definitely don't do that. <laughs> <laughs> Bye. Bye. This episode of Macabre was brought to you today by the Akimu. Remember to ask your Mesopotamian doctor today. Four out of five doctors do recommend this. You may be susceptible to becoming an akimu if you do not check out the macabrepod.com website. Email them at that's so at gmail.com Join them on Instagram, their Facebook group, or not join them as a Patreon member. You could definitely be susceptible to becoming an akimu. You can also be susceptible to becoming an akimu if you forget to rate or review this podcast. And if you forget to show your love and appreciation for the ladies of cab, Thank you.